We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the new podcast, Client Horror Stories. I'm honored to have my new British friend who lives in Victoria, BC, I believe it is, um, Paul Stevenson, who has a great story that I don't know what this story is. I just know it's great. Let's dive right in. Paul, great to have you here. Thank you, Morgan. It's uh, it's great to be on the, the show. Um, yeah, so uh, you and I were, were talking, and uh, I think this is a it's, – a, it's such an interesting topic topic the the notion that you know the, the feeling that you shouldn't really talk about things that go wrong uh with clients um yes. and in fact uh so many experiences are shared so you know my background uh just to give it some context is that um you know both agency and client side digital marketer um for as far back as it goes <laughs> i won't tell you just how far but the beginning, shall we say, of digital. And um, for the last sort of uh, five years, I've been running a a consultancy uh, here on the West Coast of Canada, uh, working mostly with software companies uh, and helping them uh, with um, digital marketing, particularly paid advertising, uh, SEO, uh, growth, that sort of thing. So uh, and prior to that, I had a an agency in the UK, a design and marketing agency, uh, which I founded and ran for 13 years before selling it to my team uh, back in 2016 uh, and then emigrating to Canada, which was, you know, something that, that I wanted to do. So, you know, I have this wealth experience of being uh, both uh, client side and, and agency side. And uh, obviously over the course of those uh, many, many years, uh, you you see the same themes emerging. Um, and to be honest, the last few years have been really good to me. I've had some great clients uh, with very, very little churn. So, uh, you know, since I've been doing this consultancy for five years, um, I've probably just uh, ended engagements with like one or two clients. I've kept a very, because it's just me, a very small portfolio of clients. And so, you know, I forgot what it was like uh, when you get churn, whether you decide to stop working with a client or they decide to stop working with you. Uh, Until recently that was. Ooh, uh, (laughs) the excitement's about to start. Well, I just recently had an experience that, uh, you know, it it set off the uh, the alarm bells and it reminded me of all of the things that I used to know about client red flags. Uh, you know, so whether it's a prospect or a client, that situation that you get into where you're, you're your emotionally, your brain is trying to tell you something, uh, but uh, maybe the financial part of your brain isn't listening. <laughs> but, by the way, Paul, Paul, I want to interrupt for a second as we build yep. up the excitement and make 
an observation that I hadn't thought about before, but you're making a good point, which is as good people and as optimists, we always want things to succeed. So if you so if you stop doing it for a while, you start forgetting all of the red flags and the yellow flags. And because uh, if, if this happens every day, it's on the top of your mind. But after a while, the optimism uh, comes back a, a little bit like dating, dating a girl, it going terribly breaking up and then forgetting why it got so bad. So you get that together <laughs> again. No comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah the, the, the first uh, thing. Yeah. So obviously... Client client discretion is is a must. The client will remain uh, anonymous, yes. and you know all of the things I'm going to say. Uh, some of them happened with this client, but then it led me to remember previous bad experiences that Perfect. that I had. Uh, and so, uh, what I actually did is I ended up uh, categorizing the things uh, that the bad things that can happen into into four groups. Oh, this is, um, um, I, I love that you did your homework. Yeah, this is organized, this, isn't it? So Love it. More organized so than me. I will tell a bit more of the story, but I'll just tell you what those categories are now. They're Please. time, so stuff to do with time, stuff to do with scope, project scope, project management, uh, and finally attitude. Okay. So, and I'll, But what I'll do is I'll touch on those as, as we talk as a story as a story yeah. progresses yeah love it love and we it. can uh, we can explore them in more detail so um so as i say i mostly deal with uh ambitious uh software companies that typically are like under 5 million annual recurring revenue quite a lot of them are just really bootstrapped getting started so under a million uh in revenue uh, and I really like working with with small, um, you know, businesses where you're dealing directly with the founder or the CTO, and the, the, you know, and there's a small team because uh, you can actually make uh, a big impact on smaller businesses. Whereas, you know, if you're working with big companies, yes. you know, you're a smaller part of what they're doing. Whatever. It, element that you do, and uh, in this instance, you know, mostly I'm doing, uh, you know advertising um but you know, typically with a software business advertising is probably at the very most going to bring in a third of their business but more realistically sort of 10 percent um you know is a is a is a pretty good standard so you know you're not a priority and they they have other things they'll be doing content marketing and pr and partnerships and integrations and and anything else that they can think of that is going to bring users. And, and that's right. And it's right to have a mix of stuff. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I concentrate on the, on the, the paid advertising side. Um, so, uh, you know, I get this referral, which is, which is great uh, from, from someone I know, and they're referring me to somebody they know who is the founder of a, uh, a new software business. It's less than 12 months old. Uh, and you know they fit my my profile that I like to work with, so no alarm bells there at all. Okay, um, so you know we we start talking, uh, and 
as is sometimes the case, there's a time difference because of our locations. Right. Uh, and, and that in itself, I think, should never raise a flag. You know, if you if you want the business, then, you know, you've got and you have to talk to somebody at midnight or, or whenever. So be it. Um, so, so that isn't the issue. But I think, you know, what is in the issue is is an issue is when you talk to someone and the first time you, you talk to them, they're in a hurry. Um, you know, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And this is contradictory to some of the other things that they might say later, but you know, the, the fact is, uh, and this happens a lot in tech, they tell you that they're a small business. They tell you they're a small team. Uh, they tell you that all of their team are remote, uh, but they have these big ambitions and typically, you know, the thing that I hear quite a lot of, maybe it's just me, is that they want to get to seven fig- figures within the first 12 months of the business. So they want to turn over a million dollars within the first 12 months. Okay. So right there, when you hear that, an alarm bell should ring because right. what they're basically doing is saying that they have very, very high expectations, which great, you know, we all have in life. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to grow up and become uh, Spider-Man, an astronaut, or a millionaire. And I haven't achieved any of those things yet, but I had high hopes, right? <laughs> so so they get on the call, and practically the first thing they say is, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to be a, a seven-figure turnover business within 12 months, uh, and you're going to help us do it. You go, okay. So, you know, what, what's your plan? And they go, and we're in a hurry. Um so, you know, you spell out your process uh, and they, you know, basically don't want to spend too much time on the discovery part where you're learning about their business uh, because they want to get on because they want leads and they want customers and it's like chop, chop, uh, get going. So, um, so the first conversation was a little bit like that. And, you know, I start thinking... So, so let, let's let's dive instead from it. I think yeah. it's a re- it's a really interesting and, and and a great point. So, them being a hurry implies the broader version of that is unrealistic expectations. And the second point that being in a hurry implies is they're not that experienced at this because anyone who's been around the rodeo a couple Correct. of times knows that there's like ups and downs and learnings and it's hard. So this combination, uh, 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 this combination of unrealistic expectations uh, uh, com- uh, uh, combined with not having done it enough to know how it goes already is is like two yellow flags coming together. So the flags are starting to look red. Yeah, indeed. And so... Uh, you know, when I get off the call, and I'll tell you more about the call, but when I get off the call, uh, my partner, Lisa, asks, oh, how did the call go? And I said, I have a bad feeling about this. You know, the Han Solo immortal words. Uh, and the lesson that I should have learned, but because, you know, I'm out of touch with dealing with, uh, with sort of bad feelings, is uh, go with your bad feelings. If you have a bad feeling, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> By the way. This advice is so easily forgotten. Like your gut knows more than your brain. It absolutely does. So, um, you know, during the course of the conversation, this first meeting, it, it you know, it's peppered with other time 
related factors like, uh, you know, we should do this or you should do this and that shouldn't take long. Okay. Which is okay. So that phrase, that phrase, I hate it. And I make a point with everyone I manage to never, never say that. I never say it. I never say it to anybody. You know, if I'm using a contract or somebody's a supplier is working for me, you know, I know we all want to say it. We all think it, but I never, ever say it because I've been on the wrong side of it so many times. And, and I want to point out a lot of people don't realize that it's little phrases like this that really set people off. So yeah, it is. It's, it's like a tiny piranha fish nibbling away at you. We, by the way, we should create a blog post that's like <laughs> phrases to never use with a client. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we could do a book. We could, a um, we could spin this off as a movie. Uh, you know, there's so many uh, opportunities for this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is how you'll make the million dollars. <laughs> I'm, I'm not honestly not looking to make a million dollars, but I know, I know a lot of clients who are. <laughs> In 12 months. <laughs> Always in 12 months. Always. So, so yeah, so they're in a hurry. They want to make a million dollars. Um, this shouldn't take long. Uh, and they would do it themselves, but they're way too busy. Oh, well, that's another one. That's another one. Oh. <laughs> we have two items for our list now. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so we get over the... Um, the, the the first call and uh you know we decide we want to go ahead so uh you know we set up this this second call and you know pretty much along the lines of uh getting an email saying you know I, I can't really schedule any time with you this week this is from them because because they're too busy but i can talk to you right now you know right now eight or nine p.m in the evening call me now so, you know, this is like, there's a lot of give and take in collaboration and compromises, but sort of because you're the client, you feel that you have to dictate that everything moves at your pace, irrespective of what the scope is or your expertise right. is, uh, and everything has to fit around you, I think is a, is a, is a terrible mistake uh, for clients. And I've been a client to plenty of people myself to make you know what what you're doing when you hire someone is you, you're hiring their expertise and uh i'm not saying that you everything should fit perfectly around them and you should fit into their processes and you should be a dream client to them uh but uh certainly you know if you make fitting in with you a higher priority i think you you get a lower quality of work um, because if you make people jump through fiery hoops, they're not going to put their bef- best efforts into everything else that they do for you. Yes. Yeah, so it, all of this is great. A few other points to add to that. Communication in your first days, weeks, not just working together, even negotiating, sets the stage and the tone it for does. everything else. So saying this on like right after the first call is sets off the flags and uh, flags flags in, uh, in 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 your mind. Also, I feel like an underrated part of treating a professional is 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 professionals control their own time. 
So, and like, that's, that's at the heart of it. Like you have a task, the professional gives you expertise and advice and helps you do it. But, but he's, but he's not the technician. Like the the technician is the guy that says, okay, you need four hours, sit here four hours and fix my plumbing. That's, (laughs) that's different. That's, that's different than, than the person already not respecting your time is the, the yellow flag's getting darker. Indeed. Yeah. And, you know, on, on that point, if you create, uh, as I do boundaries with, with clients. So what I say to, to my clients is, you know, I'll tell them how long I'm working on their account, uh, each week. Uh, and that's reflected in, you know, the cost to some degree, uh, and, and the value that they get. Um, but you know, what I've learned from that is I don't tell people which day I'm working on their stuff now. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And and the reason is uh, managing expectations because sometimes you have to juggle your schedule or whatever. And if, as I have done in the past, um, told clients, yeah, you know, I work on your stuff on Thursdays, then, you know, that that can be great for them if if they're organized around that cadence. Uh, and I've got one long established client who knows that I work with them on a Wednesday. Um, and that works because, you know, we're in synchronicity around that. Um, but they're a good client. Uh, with with this uh, particular example, uh, you know, I, I set out what my boundaries were in terms of how much work I would be doing. And even the day that I would be doing it on, which I thought was, you know, a good thing because they could get organized, manage expectations. And, you know, as we got into the engagement, uh, the way that they used that was to actually use that as a as a brick to pound my head the rest of the week, saying that basically uh, because it wasn't the day, you know, how could they expect it to go seven days without contacting me. And I said, you can contact me. You can contact me the rest of the week. <laughs> it's just that, you know, you won't get an instant reply. Uh, and so, the, you know, the the thing that I conveyed at the start of the engagement was the way that I worked, my parameters, my boundaries. Uh, and then they decided as soon as we got into the engagement that actually they didn't like it that way because what they wanted, and and I think, you know, this I've come across this before, but I think it's particularly with tech companies is that they want you on the hook all the time. So, you know, they want you in their Slack or in their project management software. And so, you know, if something, uh, somebody asks a question or whatever, they can just, they want an instant response. Now, you know, I work async. I, I can't be, uh, you know, with multiple clients, I can't be responding uh, and in everybody's Slack, Slack channel and responding all of the time. Um, but then, you know, we had this situation coming back to time again. Not only would they, you know, try and contact me anytime, night or day and expect an instant response over multiple channels. And I'm one man and they know that I'm one man. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they would sit on decisions. So I would, uh, you know, I would, uh, uh, by the way, I, so it's like, hurry, hurry up, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, <laughs> hurry up and wait. Exactly. So, you know, you'd be, you know, there'd be something that, 
I needed just to finish off, um, you know, a particular um, ad campaign setup, and they they would sit on it for a week, and then uh, you know I I chase them the following week, um, I maybe even chase them you know a few days in between, and you just hear nothing, and then like ten days later you get the thing like oh we don't want to do that this way now we want to look at something completely different or you know and it's just like. They'd already agreed the scope, the campaign was going to go a certain way, the creative's been done, you know, we're waiting on, uh, you know, a testimonial approval or something, something being approved. Uh, and they just like, you know, we need this live tomorrow. And we're like, yeah, we're waiting on you to approve it for the last seven days. <laughs> so, you know, there's lot, lots of issues around uh, time, but I think those should be very familiar to, to anybody who's ever done any contracting or, or freelancing. Um, you know, why is everything taking so long? Well, you know, we're waiting for decisions from you. Um, so pretty much, you know, within the first couple of meetings, all of the time red flags that you could possibly had have were, were triggered <laughs> just with one client and you know that's probably a, a new record um then question yeah. as these were getting triggered did you push back or address it directly with him or yes yes so uh i addressed it you know it within zoom calls and in email and some fairly blunt emails you know when we when you signed up for this we agreed this, this, and this, uh, and, you know, you're now moving the goalposts, which, you know, leads me on to the next category of uh, red flags, really, which is scope, scope creep. Cool. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's three classic scope creeps uh, that this client was able to demonstrate um, within, you know, I was working with them for three or four months, uh, and that's really short for me. Um, most of my clients, you know, I had clients in the UK that I worked with for 13 years. Uh, I have clients here that I've had for three, three and a half years, out for five years. Um, you know, but personally, I see anything less than a year engagement with a client as being, you know, something didn't fit, something didn't work. Um, and so, you know, I, I take that very personally because my whole business life has been built on long-term uh, relationships. Uh, and I think that's where, uh, you know, you you create value for both sides. Uh, I don't think short-term relationships, one-night stands, really work out in anyone's uh, interests. Um, so I, I think that the, the, the three scope issues that we that, – that you would commonly see um, and that they demonstrated was, you know, the first one is, as I say, you know, you agree a project uh, scope, you agree the fees, you agree how you're going to work. Um, and then almost immediately they move the goalposts. Uh, and so suddenly, you know, um, you're no longer building a, a shed, uh, you're building a mansion. <laughs> you know, or, or the equivalent in, in digital marketing yeah. terms. Uh, so, you know, scope creeping is a, is a, a very classic thing that clients sometimes do intentionally. Uh, a lot of the time it's unintentional 
because I I honestly believe that they don't understand uh, the difference in in the workload that they're giving you, uh, and it often As- leads to the very next phrase, which is, "Can you just dot dot dot?" Can you just- <laughs> love it? I heard that so much. Yeah, and you know, I think you have to bite your tongue when you hear that phrase because. Um, you know, I think your job then is to to educate them why you can't just dot dot dot, why you can't just do that thing. Sometimes you have to swallow it uh, if it's going to, you know, be something that is is relatively easy to do. Uh, you have to take a you know a little bit of a flyer on it. But when you have a succession of can you justs, uh, I think I, you then have to worry. You no, know, I I I love it. The way I would make that point is there's this ancient Greek paradox that's known as the sorties paradox, which is, uh, it was originally with dust, but it's easier to think about with hair. Uh, if someone has a head full of hair, if you remove one strand, are they bald? No. Two strands? No. Three strands? No. How many strands of hair do you need to remove because you become bald? And that's and what's powerful about that paradox is, is um, to use Engel's phrasing of it, although I hate Marks and angles, but it's like, but but it's an insightful way of saying it. Changes of a quantity lead to changes of type. In 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 other in other words, one more just just this five minutes here, just this five minutes here, just this five minutes there. Even if each one is just five minutes, just one strand of hair, enough of those just five minutes, and the hairy man is bald. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of other ways of putting that is that you know it's the straw that breaks the the camel's back. Or um, do you remember um, your probably a similar age to me but do you remember as a kid growing up and there was a plastic sort of buckaroo it was like a plastic donkey and you used to load it up with little little mining things like a a a pan and a pickaxe and whatever it's like a little plastic donkey and then when it got too heavy it would spring up and all of the pieces would fly everywhere so that was called I, I, you definitely had it in the states and everywhere around the world. It was by MB Games, and it's called Buckaroo. I don't remember Google that. Buckaroo. Remember. So you know, projects can be a bit like Buckaroo. Uh, in the <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you load if you know there's so much on it already, but if you overload the project, the whole thing can turn to shit. <laughs> Love it, love it. There you go. I just got you your explicit labeling for your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so new to podcasting, I didn't even realize there wasn't explicit labeling. And in some previous ones, people use worse language. But love it. I don't mind. The, The vulgar language makes the point emotional and strong. So be as dirty as you want. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, going back to this story, I mean, really, the, the whole scope thing, um, you know, you, they move the goalposts on you. So what's, um, so, so what's an example of how this client moved move the goalpost? So, you know, we started off by talking about particular channels that we were going to market in. Uh, and they agreed on channels based on the research that I'd done, the, my experience and expertise. And then, uh, and then they came along and said, "Hey, we want to try this other channel instead." So, you know, for example, I might have recommended uh, uh, we're going to use Google Search, LinkedIn, 
uh, and Twitter, say, and I say, hey, um, we want to try Facebook and Instagram, or or we think that right. w- this would sell really well on TikTok. Uh, and, you know, that's fine. I mean, that ha- happens a lot, but it's when people push it and they say, well, hang on, we define the scope of this. And, you know, we talked about the pros and cons of the different channels. I did the research. I showed you the research. But now you've decided that you want to go off and do this other thing, this other channel. Um, That's not in the mix. You know, we can do that, but you're going to need more budget and you're going to need some more of my time. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want to do that. We'll swap it out for one of the other things that you've already been working on. So it's a lot of time, you know, put a lot of time into. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So that can be, uh, you know, very frustrating and problematic, but it helps a lot. There's there's a, a broader version of that is a lot of clients don't realize that everything's a trade off. Yeah. So they just give you more and they, oh, it's just five minutes, but everything comes at a cost and that cost is time, money. Maybe it's none of them, but if, if, but if you don't get time or money, then it just increases the chance of a, of a breakdown at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there was so definitely issues uh, around uh, scope, which, um, you know, and I thought, after you know 25 plus years in this game she would call it that i was pretty good at defining scope and managing scope creep um but it, you know i think you can or you can get complacent um with it and sometimes it will come back and bite you in the ass this is so much the earlier point about a lot of these risks happening because we're optimists and want things to turn <laughs> out well so yeah. it's like you're optimistic and you like him. You're like, oh, I'll just do this for five more minutes. You, you, no one wants to be the asshole who says, no, I won't spend two more minutes on the account. Uh, no one wants to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing was uh, one of the pushbacks that I did do at one point is, uh, you know, when they uh, – rescoped part of the project is I said okay do you remember the first conversation we had where you said that you you know you admitted that you had complete ignorance of digital advertising uh, and that you'd rely on my expertise Um, and it seems now that you suddenly have some really strong opinions on on what we should do so what's changed and you know i I pushed a little bit anyway i I found out what changed (laughs) what changed (laughs) okay so (laughs) what had changed is they had spoken to a friend of a friend or a friend who you know was also an entrepreneur in business um selling something completely different so they're in software this guy sells, uh, oh, I'm not going to sell what, tell you what he sells, but yeah. a product, a business-to-consumer product. They're selling business-to-business software. He's selling business-to-consumer product, okay? And they told me, I can't remember which what their exact words were. It was either that he's killing it or crushing it on Facebook and Instagram, uh, selling this product. So I'm saying, so what you're telling me is, you know someone who is killing slash crushing it 
on Facebook and Instagram with a completely different product or service aimed at a completely different consumer. And they're, yeah, that's right. That's why we want to do it. <laughs> I don't know if I want to laugh or cry because I've heard variations of that so many times as well. And it's incredible to me also how often people who are otherwise smart and rational, as soon as a friend's friend is crushing it, suddenly like N equals one, like this one guy is doing it. So we, we have to be, so it has to work for us as well. Yeah. And so on top of that, what they said was, um, if you don't think that this channel, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, is going to be good for us, then we're going to use his guy uh, to do it because he's way cheaper than you. Wow. <laughs> so, when people say things like that, like that is explicitly a threat, but I always wonder if they realize it's a threat or not. Like, like, is, is he, is he, is he saying this? Uh, I don't know. Some people. So how did you respond to that? I was like flabbergasted. You know, I find that sort of thing really annoying. I, I tell you what, back in the, um, I, I was building websites from about 1995 onwards. Um, and the thing that I heard a lot through the late nineties and early two thousands was, uh, with with my agency was, uh, oh, we can we've got a friend or a cousin who can do that cheaper, and it just became a running joke in our studio. You know, we were just like, oh yeah, somebody's cousin could do this better than us. You know, somebody's cousin's cheaper than us. We, we, we're rubbish at this. You know, we've been doing it for years and we still don't know what we're doing. There's always somebody better and cheaper. Uh, and so my natural inclination is to say, yeah, go on then, go ahead. Fill your boots. <laughs> and did you uh, say because, that? So, I did. I did. I, I said that to them face-to-face -face, uh, on a Zoom call uh, that ended the engagement. Because, you know, I think it, it had not been the first time that they said that I was expensive. But they hired me knowing exactly what I was going to cost and, you know, what the scope was and what the value was that I was proposing to offer them. And then throughout, you know, the three, four month engagement, they just harangued me almost weekly with uh, how expensive I was. And I'm just like, yeah, I never told you that, uh, you know, I told you exactly how much it was going to cost exactly. You know, I mapped out a three month plan of all the activity that I was doing for them and delivered on it all. Uh, and yet they kind of use this as a, as a, bat to beat me with that the fact that you know they thought I was expensive well you know cost and value are, are relative really I mean clearly there was an issue there in that they didn't think I'll be honest that they obviously didn't didn't think I was delivering the value that they were expecting but you know some of that was on them because uh you know when you set up say retargeting campaigns or ad campaigns there's a lot of setup and there's a lot of collaboration needed and you know i um i started with another client at the same time brought on a new client at exactly the same time as them 
And I did the setup and everything was launched, campaigns and everything within two weeks. It took five or six weeks with them. Uh, so, you know, and that was just because there were so many issues on their side. The communication was poor. They wouldn't get back to me. Uh, when they did get, get back to me, it, it was like, um, oh, we don't know what your problem is. You know, there was this so, kind of arrogance about everything. So this is, this is interesting. I want to make a couple of comments on that. Mm. First, what I hadn't realized until this, this now, so it's a new observation for me, is how often it is that bad behavior is linked to other bad behavior. Like it's, you rarely see the great client, but he's doing this one painful, terrible thing. Instead, it's almost always the case that these guys are being acting terribly in this way and this way and this way and this way, even though on the surface, it's like mm. time and scope and all these different things that you would think are, are like aren't related to to, uh, to to each other. So mm. there's clearly some underlying uh, an underlying something that is um, yeah. that is that is causing so much bad behavior. When th- this is useful to know because what this means if you see uh, if you see one yellow flag, you're likely to see more yellow flags, and uh, so even even one yellow flag should start um i uh, uh, should start getting you to pay attention well this is a little bit out of chronological order but i think oh. you're gonna i think you're gonna like this a lot the big red flag that i missed at the very start is when they 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 told me that they had had problems with finding and uh retaining other contractors Ooh, that's yeah Okay. And they sort of brushed it off a little bit. And then as it got further into the conversation, um, the CEO actually said that hiring marketers had given them PTSD. And so what they wanted to do was find a marketer who didn't suck. Okay. So what that did is you know, and I completely fell for it and I shouldn't have. It makes you feel like you should work really hard and try your best for this client, you know, because that's what you do, isn't it? It's like being back at school, you know, you sit up straight and you do your best handwriting. Uh, But what I should have done is I should have said, well, if you've had a lot of problems with contractors, that's on you. There's clearly, you are the only common denominator in that. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And, you know, it, not every marketer can give you, surely, uh, PTSD. You must have worked with some good people. But, uh, you know, here I am now. Uh, I'm another ex-marketer to add to their portfolio. And I'm sure that they would tell people that I gave them PTSD as well. Uh, you know, that's a very, that's very powerful language. And, and when they said it, I sort of, I just laughed, you know. I just thought it was funny they were being dramatic but they weren't being dramatic. And I only found that out in subsequent calls. They didn't tell me ever what these people had done wrong, how they'd managed to give them PTSD, but they just kept repeating the phrase like it was some sort of mantra that, you know, all marketers suck, they give us PTSD. We can't find anyone that that, that is a great fit for us, you know? And, and so it's the very small things, I think, in those first uh, meetings that, that really matter. And rather than laughing them off, I should have uh, should have actually drilled in and, and dug in and said, 
what do you mean they gave you PTSD? How did they give you PTSD? And I still to this day don't know what it was. And I think what it what it actually translates to as me, uh, to mean, subsequently, I think I have an explanation for it, is they don't understand how marketing works. They don't understand how to do marketing. They find it really frustrating. Uh, and so then they find uh, even very clear communication with a, an experienced marketer frustration, frustrating because they don't really understand how to work with marketers. Um, so I, I, I agree with all of that, that, um, that, that makes sense. A, a couple of thoughts on that. Yeah. It's, if you have a bad experience one time, it's bad luck. But when it happens a bunch of times, like, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're doing something wrong. And I think it would make normal people or less crazy people become introspective. Wow, mm-hmm. like, uh, like what, what, um, like what, what, what am I, what am I doing wrong? It also feels like it's an ego reflection. Like when your ego is too high, of course it can't be me. It, it, it just, <laughs> it, it just has to be that this, that this industry attracts, uh, attracts terrible, ter- terrible people. But um, it's also become a part of my standard questions that I use in my uh, when I'm considering working with someone to ask them all about their previous, uh, like the previous marketer that, that, that they worked with. Mm. So I think that's like a good question to just like put on the list of things to find, like to find out upfront because by drilling in, how come they left you? Like it always gets insights and, and sometimes it's red flags like this, uh, like they have on those expectations, but also it's just, it's just, Oh, these things went wrong, even though it's not major. So you should know, okay, they, they really care about, you know, X, Y, Z that usually don't pay that much attention to. So, so you can prioritize that for them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think um, as the engagement went on, there were, uh, you know, or, or we, we first started working together. I think there was a couple of other things that came up, which I'd put in the, the sort of project management um, category, if you like. Uh, this, this is a good a good segue to, to jump into that category. Yeah, because, you know, as you start working with them, you, you have the initial red flags and then other things come up. And there's, there's two really common things that I want to talk about for freelancers and, and contractors. Yes. Uh, and and the, the problem is these things seem benign when you first talk about them. I touched on one of them earlier. The first one is joining their company Slack channel, but their Slack. Uh, okay. Let's talk about this one. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. So, so it seems benign, doesn't it? That you, actually, you it feel does. quite welcome. You think, oh, wow. You know, they trust me. I'm like they, a team member. Yeah. They want me in their Slack and you can see their Slack is filled out with lots of other contractors and uh, other people, but it's really for their benefit. It's not for your benefit. And, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a sole solo contractor or freelance or, or even a small agency, managing multiple relationships in company Slack channels is not scalable. And in fact, what it's going to do is it's going to destroy your productivity because what it means is that not only is that one contact, maybe it was the CEO or the CMO, 
exposed to you, but the whole of their team's exposed to you. So, you know, somebody uh, in their engineering team can say, hey, you know, uh, you know about those uh, about the Google Tag Manager. We've been looking into it, or hey, we can't get this to work. Or and so what happens is the amount of things that you're doing balloon. Uh, it's much more likely to go off scope uh, because there are so many more people involved. And one of the things that that you have to think about when you take on a project is how many points of contact are there going to be? Because if you're dealing with just a you know bootstrapped one man or one woman uh, you know software company that's great you know the total amount of contact is going to be one on one okay but <laughs> yeah but the more people involved the more time consuming it's going to be and if you ever get involved in uh you know zoom meetings where there's like six seven eight people and decisions are being made and you're there as an advisor or a contractor uh you know those things can suck a lot of time. And if you've agreed like a set scope and a set cost for things, then Slack is definitely one way uh, to, um, you know, blow your budget completely. It's interesting. I, I, I agree with that. This is one where I fall prey to because I love Slack. So <laughs> I consciously make that, make that bad decision. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to um, to resist, and um, and I think I think so. So so a couple of things. All the time with clients, they hire you, but then they want things that are actually not in their interest. Like they want you to go to go to all these meetings, and on one level, intellectually, they realize, oh yeah, if you spend so much time in these meetings, it will like eat away at the clock, and you'll have less time for the more important stuff. Mm. But like that does it, it almost never connects consciously. Mm. So because they keep on asking you to go to these time-wasting meetings anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so, so it becomes doubly important to, uh, to push back, hey, it's not in your interest that I spend this hour in the meeting. Like, I'm not going to have any value to contribute to it. You can send me a three-sentence summary afterwards, and it's better for you that I spend yeah. an hour, uh, you know, focusing on your goals. Yeah, absolutely right. And and I think on a similar vein, in a similar vein to that, is project management software. So, um, you know, uh, I use project management software. I'm sure a lot of people use project management software when you're juggling I love projects. Asana. Okay, so you're an Asana man. Okay. I'm an Asana uh, man. I um, So yeah, it depends what I'm doing, but, uh, you know, it'll be like Trello or teamwork or... Um, I use Harvest a lot. So yes. horse, horses for courses, really. You know, different different project management software is appropriate for different things and uh, and to different businesses. But again, one of the the things that happened with this client is they said. Uh, so I said, oh, you know, I shared a Trello board with them, and I said, here's the here's the the, the project for the next three months. Here's the stages. Here's the months. Here's the breakdown. Here's what we're doing. They said, great can you put all of that into our Monday project management software? And I said, well, it's there already in Trello. And they said, no, but but we want the whole of our team to do it. I said, well, as far as I know, there's just the three of us working on this project, uh, but okay. So then, you know, I log into their Monday, not use Monday before, 
you know, it's different. You can't do the same things. So you spend an hour or two resetting up all of your project in their project management software so that other people who, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's just so that they can have everything in one place. But then all you're doing is, you know, all they're doing is looking at the progress that you're making and the status. They're not actually interacting that much with it. Uh, you know, they could have a, it could be view only for, for all that matters, but they want it on their system because it's theirs and they want to control it. Um, and, you know, I think the, the problem with that is that, you know, as a, an agency or a contractor or whatever, you have your own processes, you have your own integrations, uh, you have your own project management software, hopefully. But even if you don't, even if you've got a notepad or you do it all in Google Sheets, you know, at least you're doing it your way, okay? And then making you change the way you do things to do it their way, uh, but still expect, you know, the same results is, you know, you're not familiar with that project management software. You know, it, it's actually not hugely beneficial. Um, yeah, I that, actually I hadn't thought about this point before, but I like it. You're bringing up a bunch of new insightful points today. It's, it, 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 it's awesome. One of my favorites so far. Um, the way I would frame it, or the way I interpret what you're saying, because I agree with it, is by making someone else change the process that they know works creates cognitive resistance in your mind, which and the cognitive resistance in your mind makes it makes it intellectually much harder to solve yeah. the problems and fo and focus on the focus on the tasks at hand here absolutely here, an example of that a non-work example i would give of that is i speak spanish awesomely and i can un i can understand 90 percent say 95 percent of of what i want to say but the problem the problem i have in spanish is whenever i'm speaking understanding in spanish all my brain power goes towards translating <laughs> what they're saying. I'm left with like unable to process to come up with smart, intelligent, clever things to say. So I end up saying generic, stupid, simple things. Um, and I feel like I, I never realized this metaphor until right now, but I thought it's the same sort of thing. When I'm really trying to figure out Monday and how it goes and da da da, it just takes up so much time, mental energy that, that it just becomes cognitively harder to focus on, okay, I need to figure out your PPC problems and solve them. Yeah, it's cognitive load, right? So it's know, called, wait, what's the word? Cognitive load. Cognitive, yeah, that's right. Cognitive load. That's the right phrase. <laughs> Cognitive uh, load. It's a great name for a band. Um, so, uh, so the final sort of category. So we've sort of talked about um, time, scope, project management. The the final one is probably the most important, and it's attitude, uh, in my opinion, uh, both their attitude and yours. And I think, you know. I am guilty of doing one thing wrong, really wrong with that client. Uh, well, probably two things wrong. Uh, I have a terrible um, tendency to be very honest with people and not everybody likes that. That That is a, an attitudinal mistake that I'm, I, I make. Uh, I don't know whether it's my background, upbringing or whatever, but uh, I just, I'm just not interested in lying. I, I just would rather, or even sort of, uh, being all slippery about the truth. I, I'd just rather just tell them you exactly what it is. 
You don't sugarcoat. Yeah, I don't sugarcoat. And now culturally, that is difficult, I think, with some cultures, definitely. Um, I think you Americans, you're brilliant at that. <laughs> I mean, I, what I would point out is with is within the U.S., there's a very clear, and I'm from New York, very clear New York culture of yeah. no sugar coating. Yeah. And once you leave New York, basically from New York, the more, sweeter. Out, the more out West you go, the more and more <laughs> sugar until you hit California, where it's like you get diabetes just by crossing the border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm on the West Coast of, of Canada and really it is, this is the California of the North. It, it is the same. Uh, and I think it's true, you know, I've met uh, and worked with quite a few people in Toronto and, and find them to be a lot more matter of fact, a m- lot, lot more like New Yorkers. Uh, but out West here, it's, yeah, you know, everything is just awesome, even if it's terrible. <laughs> by, by the way, by the way one, one trick I often use, because I, I'd like you, try to be blunt, and I've been, I invest too much cognitive energy in trying to figure out how can I do nice. that without, with, without them hating me? Because you want to be strong, because if you sugarcoat it, they don't understand the point. So mm-hmm. the challenge is how do you get the point across without being, without being the asshole? And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you some tricks that I use. One trick I use is I really play up my New Yorkness. That I'm like, <laughs> hey, I'm from New York. I'm going to be blunt. And I tell it to them on day one. So they, they go on that expectation. A second thing that a second thing that I do is often in conversations with them, I ask them, who do you want me to be in this conversation? And, and, I, and I say, like, do you want me to be the nice guy? Do you want me to be the blunt asshole? Do you want me to be this? And mm. by saying that, it's like, and I've had people say to me, like, I've had people ask me to sugarcoat my response when I ask them that. <laughs> because sometimes people are know they're messing up and they want to hear it. But but their but their little hearts can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. I I think it is the uh, the the subtle part to to business, and it, and it doesn't suit everyone. So I'm definitely guilty um, of that. Um, there was a couple of other things that that, that came up in this uh, engagement. Um, let, let, let's talk about the attitude. Tell me about other aspects of your attitude in this, because I'm I'm interested in diving into this one. Right, uh, my attitude. Well, you know, I do, um, I do pride myself on, on being uh, horrifically honest, and you know, I'll actually, as you do, I, you know, I'll tell people from the start. But I don't, unlike you, I'm, I'm, I'm really not very good at changing mode, uh, you know, and uh, I don't think it's ever really got in the way of business. I think a lot of my business is actually won on the back of that because. Um, quite often what happens, I had it the other day with a with a, a client I just took on. They said that they spoke to a lot of people um, by a lot. I think they meant like four or five uh, and uh, before speaking to me. And they told me some of the things other people said that they could do in this with this particular project that, you know, this particular thing that we were talking about. Uh, and I told them it wasn't possible or they would, you know, it'd just be a waste of money. Uh, and uh, they said, well, you know, we were really surprised. Nobody had told us that, that we'd waste our money doing, doing it that way. Uh, and nobody suggested anything else. And, uh, and so we'd like, we'd like to use you <laughs> because, because, you know, this, 
and honestly, I've made a career out of it. Uh, you know, I've taught people out of just as much work as I've taught people into it. In fact, I've never talked anybody into doing any work with me. Um, you know, but I've definitely talked a lot out uh, of doing it. Um, and I think in the long run, that's a much better place to be in. Uh, I do hear it's definitely more uh, prevalent over here than in the UK that, um, you know, agencies and contractors and freelancers tend to overpromise a lot uh, that everything is going to be awesome and amazing uh, and, uh, you know, very, very positive, upbeat story. Whereas my story tends to be more, I don't know if this will work. We're going to do some research. We're going to run some experiments that are going to be low cost and then we're going to reach some conclusions and, and iterate from there. Whereas I think a, a lot of people are like, yeah, this would be awesome. Spend all your money with us. We'll deliver this amazing result. And then they fall flat on their asses. <laughs> now, you know, that's maybe that's just a different attitude. And yeah, sometimes they come good. Sometimes they, they, they pull miracles out of the. So, so I, I have a question on attitude something I try to do and follow in my practice is I only work on projects that I'm excited about. And hmm. the moment I realize I'm no longer excited about a project is the moment when I realize, okay, I have to step down. Um, sometimes there's like a couple week difference because it, you, you, you question yourself, but always with, always within, uh, within a couple, a couple of weeks. So, so what is and, it? What is it, if I can just turn the tables, so what is it that yes. would make you change your mind about uh, a project? Oh, so it's, but that goes to the question I was going to ask you about this one. So like, like you, I would assume or presume that you only take a project if on day one you're optimistic. And so <laughs> on, day one, on day one, you saw the yellow flags, but you thought they were light yellow. So, so yeah. on day one, you saw light yellow flags, you were, you were, you were optimistic, but at some point between that and, and that point four months later, when, like when, when you had that big conversation and, and you, and you stepped down at some point you had to have realized it's just not going to work out with them. And uh, so, so sometimes it's the client's bad behavior where like too many, too many issues compound and you have to do that. That's what happens sometimes there there, but like, it would also be misleading to say that's the that's the only reason why it happens. Sometimes I've taken on projects where I where um, less recently, but more more long ago, whereas I bit off more than I could chew. And it's not even necessarily that it was too much work for me, but sometimes you have to be at the right moment in your life. Oh, this other big thing is about to happen in my life that's going to distract me. And this is actually going, going to be a ton of work. Yeah, I can make it work. And then sometimes after three months, you're like, dude, I'm juggling. I thought I'd be able to juggle eight balls at the same time, but I can yeah. only I can only juggle four balls. So I have to like I have to find out how to put four balls gently on the ground without yeah, them you, have to, you have to choose your balls. Totally, totally. So, um, yeah. So, so, so sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's it's my fault. And in real life, it's often a combination of yeah. those um, of of those two. Like things aren't are never so clean and neat 
that it's 100% my fault or 100% their fault. Absolutely. I mean, I made, I think I made a lot of uh, mistakes in this engagement with this, with this client, but I think it was because, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of these red flags for a long time that nothing was new to me. It was all like, Oh, here we go. And I sort of left them off as I, you know, as I crashed through the barriers, you know, I laughed uh, like an insane man thinking, Oh, I've seen this before. Uh, And then, you know, the barriers just build and build and build until you can't actually move forward. Um, So, you know, I think there's one final thing on attitude that I'd like to talk about which is really important for me and this engagement made me realize and it's you know it's a big red flag Uh, and that is you know if they don't have any humor or or humility interesting interesting so um if you can laugh and joke around with people and you know you can you can come to an understanding can't you but if uh you know and I admit that my humor isn't always uh, in line with uh, other people's. Uh, there's like cultural gaps and stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a fundamental thing that the ability to sort of, you know, like people. Now, they were likable people. It wasn't that I didn't like them. Right. And it, it's a really nice business. And it's and I think they will be successful. Um, I don't think they'll probably turn over seven figures in 12 months. But even if they do, um, I right, think... Right, right. You know, I think the the two things that they, you know, they weren't able to laugh at themselves or or just um, see uh, the the funny side to anything, and, and not that there was anything, you know, to see the funny side about. Um, and like the whole humility thing, uh, staying humble, like rather than sort of saying, um, yeah, you know, there's a problem here. Oh, you know, I wonder. I wonder what that problem can be. Let's have a chat about the problem. Be like, yeah, you've got a problem. Uh, it's definitely on your side. Uh, you know, our technical setup is perfect. And then you go in, and I'd have to prove, you know, that technically their setup was poor and it was not working and it was broken. And then, you know, I had to do that multiple times. And when it got to the third time, I just thought, no, you know, this this arrogant arrogance is just you know I I don't I don't have a problem with people being ambitious uh you know I love that I I really want people to be ambitious for their businesses you know I like getting and feeling ambitious for somebody else's business and feeling that I can help them reach their goals but you know the kind of arrogance you sometimes get um I, I really really struggle with almost to the point now where I'm thinking do I want to carry on working with software companies? Because a lot of them are actually quite arrogant. So great points. I had never thought so clearly about the importance of humor and humility, but I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start using it. By the way, a bunch of my books have been published and one is a humor book and actually two, and another is actually a book on humility. So uh, so I oh, you you're an expert. So, so I actually have published like best-selling book, you know, the largest publishing house in the world. Like it's, uh, but I never thought so clearly that the importance of human humility actually the subjects of like my two favorite books of my own. <laughs> so, so I, I'm totally going to steal that phrase. By are you the gonna, way, are I, you going to put them on the video? And so uh, here's the yeah. link to them. 
Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably not. But um, but what's but the the other point I want to make is the uh, the humility one is interesting. Like I agree hundred percent. It's important. The challenge is working with any CEO or, or founder. The founder and CEO personalities. By definition, those jobs are going to attract people who have the exact opposite of humility. Like you have to be arrogant to think that I can change the world in this little way, even if it's just I want to I want to convince people to spend a million dollars on my shit, not on other people's shit. Like you like you need arrogance in, in order to think that. So as a result, founder CEO who's also uh, uh, humble, it's not quite as uncommon as a unicorn, but it's approaching <laughs> that level. So I'd never so thought I, about it like that, Morgan. That is uh, really, I think that, I, do you know what I think the difference is that um, I spent the, probably the first 20, 25 years of my career working with small business owners uh, predominantly, and they tend not to be so arrogant and tend to be more humble. Correct. Admit. But then when you I get had... to VC-backed software companies <laughs> or even bootstrapped. By, by the way, this is very consistent with my experience. I know so many small businesses and like, you know, some guy that has 30 employees and like, guess what? Like he's making millions of dollars. It's a real, it's a real business that mm -hmm. like, Real businesses that some guy started, he loves his thing. He did well. So now he, you know, now he just runs a network of six gyms and yeah. he's a great guy and he does well. That's like, it's because that emerged naturally out of his passion for gyms. It's mm. much easier to be that archetype of someone without, mm. without arrogance, as opposed to the, wow, yeah, I, biggest VC firm in the world just gave me $3 million. Yeah, like, yeah. Like that happens, you're you're going to have uh, in almost all cases, almost the unicorn of uh, in in ego that goes all the way up there. That is fascinating. Do you know what? I'd never made that connection. Uh, both of us are making new connections tonight. This uh, <laughs> this this is this has been fun. Um, so now to to wrap up. Anymore because I feel like we your story is great. We also jumped around a bit, so it was awesome. We did. And any other so I so like you mentioned a little while ago the final conversation where um uh, where where you had that end of the engagement. Mm. Any other to wrap it up like uh, like after that? Any other problems? Did you hear from them? Have they like have they fired a few more marketers since you left? <laughs> that's a really that's a really good point. Um, so I think I made a really big mistake in that, uh, you know, and I have done this before in business. I took all of their criticism personally. Um, and, and that is a, a fatal mistake to make in business. And so when we had the final conversation, it wasn't heated, but, you know, I laid down the way that I saw it, uh, and, uh, you know, there was no way in my mind that we were going to come out of that conversation and uh, and continue to work together because I had crashed through so many barriers, things that probably didn't even register to them 
like, you know, sending me emails and including stuff like, oh, you know, we can get somebody else to do this for less or you're really expensive. Or, you know, when you when you've read that once or twice, you just begin to think, well, you know, you're, yeah, you're probably not made to work together. Yeah. So, so, you know, I deliberately had the call with the intent of ending the engagement and I, you know, I wish them luck and I still wish them luck. I'm sure it will be successful. Um, I think we both parties learn something from the engagement. It reminded me of what, what client red flags are and how many there are um, because I'd, forgot you know it's been uh i've had it quite easy uh for the last few years just working with a handful of clients and um and, and i think for their part you know i think there was a, a lot to learn in terms of you know mostly attitude really of how you partner with people and how you deal with them and how you treat them uh you know in some ways you need to actually treat them as well as or better than your employees um and you know i think that they will be successful but i don't regret stop working with them and you know this uh, strange things happen uh when you make the decision to stop working with someone you'll find that as that door closes another one opens and you know all you're doing is you know I don't like the idea of, I've never liked the idea of being a sausage factory, you know, somebody who's just churning out work. And I, I'm not that interested in that. I, I only work with a handful of clients, but inevitably where you do have churn, that does free you up for other things and other opportunities will come along and it won't be the end of your life. So, you know, if you get that, if you go to bed at night and you get that, that, that heavy feeling in your chest, uh, and you think it's a client that's giving giving that to you rather than indigestion from something. The, the best thing is to is to let them go uh, because you know you'll feel better, they'll feel better, and do you know what? Other opportunities will come along which will be better for you. How how positive hey, is that? <laughs> I love it. I I agree with that a thousand percent. What I would add on a slightly less optimistic note is unfortunately I found that wisdom that you just shared, which is fantastic, often comes with age. Like of like when you're 23 and those that and that five thousand dollars a month is life changing to you at 23, it, like like that's it's much much harder to turn down uh, to turn down a few thousand dollars a month. Uh, then, then a few decades later, when you know that money comes and money goes, money does come and money does go. And you know, the other thing to say on that is that if you ever um, do a really good price for someone, or you you know do something at less than you think you should be doing it, it will always be painful. So always charge more than you think, uh, because you know when it gets painful. Uh, the money is not much of a solace, but um, at least the bills get paid. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, that 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 makes that, that makes sense. A, um, a, p- a piece of advice that I that I think of people when they're struggling struggling with how do I make more money or I'm unhappy or these annoying clients. I I often recommend people just uh, list all of your clients 
by um, by how much money you're making from them and how much you enjoy working uh, with them, like one to 10 for each and like multiply the two together. And then on the resulting column, just take the bottom 20% and get rid of them. And, and what I find useful about this process is because, hey, like you're, you're willing to put up with more bad behavior if, if the money is worth it. It's just, it's, just, it's just human nature. But when it has that combination of, of both terrible money and terrible client relationships, then, um, I, then it's, it becomes doubly important in order to clear it from your emotions and your time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank and, you very much. That was great. Yeah, and 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 thank you. This uh, this was fun. I I almost want to do it again. I hope you have more terrible clients so we have an excuse to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope not. Um, I, I I've learned from my own no. lessons. <laughs> I I hope you I uh, I you uh, you you learn from lessons. This was fun. Thank uh, thank you for uh, thank you for coming and. To be continued, and, and everyone who made it to the end, I hope it was worth it. Thank you for watching. Bye.